Our scripture reading this morning comes from Acts, the second chapter, and we are looking at verses 37 through 47. And uh, and this passage takes place right after Pentecost. And so the Holy Spirit has poured out on all the people, and Peter stood up and he started preaching. And so we're going to start with the reaction to, uh, to, to Peter's preaching. So Acts, the, uh, the second chapter, verses 37 to 47. Hear now the word of our Lord. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. So, um, one of the first times, most of you know Brantley Ivy over at, at Bridal Creek and know him from just running into him uh, in town probably. Uh, the first time I met uh, Brantley Ivy, um, we were at a, like a church dinner and he leaned in real, real serious and said, um, said, Pastor, my dad once told me the difference between a Methodist and a Baptist. Do you want to know the difference between a Methodist and a Baptist? And I really braced myself for some profound theological insight. Like I said, I didn't know Brantley really well yet. And, uh, and so I said, yeah, I would like to know the difference between a Methodist and a Baptist. I said, well, the difference between a Methodist and a Baptist is a Methodist will wave to you in the liquor store. And uh, <laughs> I've always thought that was a pretty good description. And, um, and the reason I bring this up is because it's homecoming Sunday. And, uh, and I just want to let you all know that you're, you're honorary Methodist right now, okay? Even if you call a different church uh, uh, your home church, uh, you know, during the rest of the year, um, uh, you're an honorary Methodist this morning. 
And I bring that up because I'm about to tell a story that, uh, that, that involves wine in it. And I want you to know it's okay. You can make eye contact. Um, uh, it, it'll be all right. And if it really, really, really bothers you, then every time I say wine, I want you to mentally substitute Welch's grape juice, okay? <laughs> Once upon a time, there was a king. And this king was a good king. He was a wise king. He was beloved by all. And it came the time for the 50th anniversary of his reign, and the king decided that he was going to throw a big celebration. And he decided that, uh, that, that he was going to provide uh, the food. He was going to uh, throw open um, uh, the castle to everyone that wanted to come. That he was going to provide the entertainment, you know, jugglers and, and, and jesters and, and singers and the like. It was going to be a great big celebration. And his only ask of everyone that attended was that they would bring a jug of their finest wine. And he had this, he had this um, uh, 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 vision in his head. He had this great big uh, barrel made. And there was going to be this ceremony when the people from all over the kingdom came with the jugs of their finest wine and they were going to pour it into the barrel. And, uh, and, and, and all of the wine together combined was sort of going to be the taste of the kingdom. It was going to be a combination of all the finest vintages that the kingdom had offer. Well, it happened that there, was a, uh, that there was a poor farmer who was invited to this celebration. He received the invitation and it said, it's free. You don't have to do anything. Uh, uh, the, the, the doors of the castle are thrown open wide for you. All uh, we want you to do is bring uh, a jug of your finest wine. Now, the farmer thought to himself, he did have a jug of really, really good wine. Uh, it's a jug that he had had for years, but it was his only jug, and he had been planning on using it for his daughter's wedding. So he really went back and forth about this. You know, he, he loved the king. The king was a good king. He wanted to honor the king. But at the same time, he didn't want to part with this jug of wine. So what he decided to do, he thought to himself, you know, um, if I just fill my jug with water, there'll be so many people coming from all over the kingdom, people far richer than I, that have far better vintages than I do. And, uh, and in that great big barrel, what, what's a little water going to do? I'll just line up with, with everyone else, and when it's my turn, I'll just discreetly pour my jug into the barrel, and no one will ever be the wiser. Well, the time for the celebration came. The doors of the castle were, were thrown open wide for all the guests from all over the kingdom. And they had the big ceremony where, uh, where, where uh, all the representatives of all the, uh, of all the houses sort of uh, uh, lined up with their jugs of, of their finest wine, and they all poured uh, their jugs into the great big barrel. And when it came the farmer's turn, he poured his water into the barrel. Well, the time came for the feast to begin, and it was to begin with the king giving a toast. 
This is good. King handed his goblet to one of his servants, and the servants, a, a servant took the goblet and, and, and poured from the barrel, from the tap, and filled the goblet up. The king gave his toast. He drank from his goblet. Then he looked down. And then he poured the goblet out. And it all came out crystal clear. And suddenly everyone in that feast hall realized what had happened. Everyone had come that day with the jug of water, expecting the others to bring the wine. I'd like you to consider this, uh, this little parable this morning as an image of the church, as an image of the watered-down church. You see, all of us are called to, to, to honor the king this morning. All of us are called to bring the best of what we have. And far too often in our churches, we're bringing water and we're counting on other people to bring the good stuff, right? Um, if, you're, uh, if you're a United Methodist, if you become a member, then at some point you, you stood in front of a room just like this and, and you make a pledge to support the church with your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness. You make a pledge to bring the best of what you have to the table. And so I ask you, are you? Are you bringing water and expecting a couple of other people to bring the wine? I wonder if you ever have, on, on homecoming Sunday, if you ever have a sense of, this is great. It's great to see the, the, the sanctuary full. It's, it, it, it's great to see uh, uh, maybe some faces that we're not used to seeing. This is, this is great. This is a wonderful thing. But I wonder if you ever have a sense that, gosh, as good as this is, there's something missing. It's not quite the way it was when so-and-so was alive. It's not quite the way it was when so-and-so was pastor. It's not quite the way it was when we used to do such and such. There's something missing. Something a little watered down. And I think when we feel that way, it's easy to sort of point, point the finger, right? To point out there. Gosh, well... Maybe if the pastor spent a little less time picking out his Hawaiian shirts and a little more time working, you know, things would be better around here, right? Or, uh, or maybe, geez, maybe if, uh, if we all read the, the latest book, right, and got behind the latest uh, uh, church growth strategy, things would be better around here. Or, or the one I love is kids these days. They just don't care about church because, because, because their parents don't make them go. But boy, back in my day, you had to go. It's always easy to just sort of point out there and find a culprit out there rather than confront the question, am I really bringing 
my best? Am I really bringing the fullness of my gift, my presence, my prayers, my service, and my witness? Or am I bringing water and wondering why it feels a little watered down around here? When I was um, in sixth grade, I won, I won the sixth grade class spelling bee. And that's as far as I ever made it on the spelling bee circuit. Um, every year, I'm always uh, uh, surprised um, uh, uh, by, by these kids that do the Scripps National Spelling Bee. Just uh, the, the, the composure they have, just uh, uh, their ability to, to memorize these words and, and use problem solving to figure out how new words they've never encountered, how they're spelled. I'm just blown away by all of that. And they always spell words that I didn't know existed, let alone would be able to spell. And I would say at their age, but I mean like now, right? But a couple of years ago, there was a kid at the Scripps National Spelling Bee named Karthik Namani, and, uh, and he won the whole spelling bee by spelling a word that, that I knew and knew how to spell. Now, I knew this word not because I'm a boy genius. I knew this word because I'm a pastor, and this is a pastor word. The word was koinonia. And koinonia is a Greek word, and it's a word that was in our passage this morning. And it's a word that we often translate as fellowship. Now, the true sense of the word koinonia, um, when we think of fellowship, we think of what happens in that big room downstairs, right? Or what happens when we all gather at the river or, or, or decide to, uh, to watch a movie on the lawn together. And that's part of what fellowship is, but, but, but not the whole thing. See, koinonia is more about um, uh, everyone uh, bringing the best of what they have. It's what the king of the parable had in mind when he asked everyone to bring their finest vintage. Koinonia is this, is, is, is this sharing of life together. And when we do that, a uh, true Christian koinonia is rich and deep and, yes, potent. It's powerful stuff. It's the good stuff. Now, in our passage this morning, we were given a vision of the early church's real sense of koinonia, the real sense of fellowship. And I'd like to look at that passage again one more time with you. Listen to this description of the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, 
praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Is that a beautiful description of the church? Now, the first line here is sort of like a thesis statement, right? It, it tells us what the church was doing. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. We're told that the church learned together, they shared together, that they ate together, and that they prayed together. And then the rest of this little passage sort of shows us what each of those things looked like. They learned together by watching the apostles, right? They were amazed at all the things that the apostles were doing. And the apostles were the people that had spent time with Jesus, who had walked with Jesus, who had seen all the miracles. And so they learned by watching the apostles, not just by listening to their teaching, but by watching their example. They shared together by having everything in common. That word fellowship, that's koinonia. Right? Um, uh, no one in the community went, uh, 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 went without. Each brought the best of what they had and, and they shared it with the others. They ate together. And by eat together, I don't mean um, plastic cups and styrofoam wafers. I mean they were in each other's homes sharing each other's lives, listening to each other's joys and concerns. And they prayed together by glorifying God in the temple. See, the temple was still uh, where they considered to be the house of worship. All this other stuff that they did outside the temple was like in addition to worship hours. They were a koinonia church 24-7. You see how powerful that is? Wouldn't you love a taste of that? Next summer, the Braggle Creek Circuit, and I hope some of you all decide to go. Next summer, the Braggle Creek Circuit is going to Nicaragua on a mission trip. And one of the things I love about going to Central America on mission trips um, is, and this is a little selfish, the food. I love, I love Central American food. Uh, I swear everything just tastes a little better. Um, I, I used to think I was crazy because I could swear that Coca-Cola tasted better. And now that I've seen that they're, they're uh, uh, selling bottles of Mexican Coke at the Food City. Uh, I know at least some other people agree. Um, but there's something about at the end of a hot day of work, just a, 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 a cold bottle of that Mexican Coca-Cola, nothing better. I remember the first time I had it, I was 16. I was on my first mission trip. And um, it was the end of a, of a long day. And I was going back to the place we were staying. And I had with me... Um, uh, uh, a kid I befriended about seven years old named Alex. And Alex and I stopped at this little store. And store is being very generous. This is like the front room of someone's house. And, uh, and we walked into the door and, uh, and, um, and, 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 and the guy came up and I, uh, using my Spanish that I knew, 
uh, because I had just uh, spent uh, uh, the year in Spanish one saying, I'm never going to need this. And uh, so what little I could remember, I, w- I was employing. And um, uh, I, 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 maybe you can translate this yourself. I said, dos Coca-Colas, por favor. Right? And uh, gave me, a, gave me a, a two uh, litros bottles about this, this high of Coca-Cola. And we had to stay close because uh, you're, supposed to give your, uh, you're supposed to give your bottle back so it can be recycled. And so, uh, so we, we sat outside the tienda, uh, me and Alex just, uh, just sipping our Coca-Colas. And Alex's friend walks by, and so Alex calls out to his friend, maybe you can translate this as well. Amigo, Coca-Cola! And, uh, and he, uh, he passes the Coke uh, to, his, uh, to his friend. His friend takes a sip, and, uh, and his friend's sister... Uh, passes by, and maybe you can translate this as well, Ermana, Coca-Cola, right? And she takes a sip. Pretty soon, I've got a crowd, right? There's like 20 kids passing uh, this, uh, this tall bottle of Coca-Cola. And then they pass it back to me, empty. And then they all just sort of look at me with their beautiful eyes and say, gracias. And I look down at my half-drunk Coca-Cola. And I say, De nada. And I pass it. And they sip that one too. That is koinonia. Taking a sip of the good stuff and passing it on. Sharing it with others. Giving the best of what you have and not worrying about whether it's going to come back around to you. Those kids, they couldn't spell it, but they could sure do it, couldn't they? That's koinonia. And what happened is their numbers grew. Their numbers grew. See, people in my job, we're obsessed with church growth, right? We read all the books about church growth. We listen to all the podcasts. We go to conferences where they teach us about church growth, right? And it's always some mega church pastor somewhere that, that, that lucked into something and, and, and he's telling us all how he did it, right? But the truth is that God's honest truth, people don't cause church growth. The Holy Spirit causes church growth. God causes churches to grow. Think about this for a second. In our passage that we read, we got this description of the potent church, this description of the good stuff, right? We got all of this description of the things that the church was doing together. They were praying together. They were eating together. They were sharing together. They they, they were worshiping together. Right? All these things that they were doing together. Lots of activity. And then the passage ends with this verse. And God added daily to the number of those being saved. In other words, they were doing everything except causing the church to grow. God was doing that. 
Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that outreach isn't important. You just have to read the rest of the book of Acts to see that, you know, their, their missionary journey was, was an important part of, of that church growth. But what I am saying this is a potent church doesn't have to piddle around with books on church growth strategy. A potent church doesn't have to think about what their brand is and, 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 and how they're going to get the message out. A potent church grows because God causes it to grow. In other words, we could spend a lot of time talking about how we're going to, uh, to, to brand ourselves and get the message out there that we're a church that loves people. We could do that or... Hear me out on this. We could just be a church that loves people and see what happens. See if the message gets out. See if people want to come and get a sip of the good stuff. Imagine what would happen here at Bethany United Methodist Church if everyone brought the very best of what they have. If the teenagers didn't say, I'll give my best when I'm older. Those of us who are older didn't say, I gave my best when I was younger. If we all gave the best of what we had, our prayers. What if we were praying for the church and its ministries every day? What if, what if people came in here and, 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 and they could just feel the spirit in every single thing that we do because every single thing that we do was bathed in prayer? Our presence. What if homecoming Sunday wasn't the only Sunday we're all in the same room at the same time? Or if we were all truly blessing the church with our presence, not just in this building, but in each other's lives, in each other's homes. Our gifts. Yes, our money, our 10%, you know. What, what, what if we didn't have to worry about having enough resources to do the things that, that we feel called by the Spirit to do in our community? But gifts doesn't just bring, mean money. It means our time and our energy and our willingness to serve. What if we gave the best of our service? What if when, uh, when we're looking to nominate some people into some positions, right? We didn't have to worry about, will they say yes? What if our real worry was, we don't have enough positions for all the people that want to serve? Right? We have to make up some new positions so everyone will feel included. What if that was our problem? Our witness. What if we were giving our best witness in the community? What if people were following us to church because they wanted to know where we were getting what we were giving? Do you think we have to piddle around with books on church growth strategies? We'd be worrying about where we're going to park everybody, wouldn't we? See, we're promised that someday there's going to be a homecoming to end all homecomings. 
Someday the king is going to throw open wide his doors and people are going to come from every direction to feast at his heavenly banquet. And entry is going to be free to all who believe. And there's going to be a table there for Bethany United Methodist Church. Isn't that going to be wonderful at that table? It's, it's going to be so long. You're going to see all the people have come before and, and have made the church what it is. And then you're going to look that way and you're going to see, see people you've not even met yet who will someday call this church their home. And everyone will have a seat at that table because of God's grace. And I'm not sure what I'll do. I'll just hop from table to table, I guess. But I ask you, when it comes time for us to bring our jug to the feast, what will we bring with us? Some watered-down good intentions? Or a jug overflowing with the good stuff? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.